Well, if you would, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 27 through 47. So, unlike last week, we don't have a chapter and a half. Chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba, and from Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people, and the gates and the wall. And then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south, on the wall to the dung gate. And after them went Hoshahiah, and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with the trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melaliah, Geliah, Maiah, Nethanel, Judah, Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. And the fountain gate, at the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priest Eliakim, Maaseah, Menemian, Micaiah, Elioenai, Zechariah, Hananiah with trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Elizar, Uzai, Jehohanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, 
to gather into them the portions required by the law for the prophets and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Well, this is God's word. May he bless it to us tonight. You might recall that last week we learned about various people and places. We were given a list of leaders and Levites, almost 200 of them, and about 30 towns where the people of Judah, large in part, lived. And we were told of how the returned exiles began to inhabit the holy city, how they had a well-ordered society. Yet, in turning to our text, things shift from genealogies and village names to the dedication of city walls. And we need to remember something. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, miles of city defenses were completed in how long? About 52 days, with enemies breathing down the necks of the Jews. But the completion of these walls, that was about a month and a half prior to our passage tonight. Which leads us to ask a question. With the walls finished, what took so long to have a dedication service? Why did it take several weeks for us to get to Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27 and following? Well, perhaps because even, even though the labor on the walls was completed, there was other work that needed to be undertaken on the returned exiles themselves. See, leading up to our text here, to the dedication service, the people were being rebuilt according to righteousness. How so? Well, our passage is going to reveal that. And it's going to lead us to ask ourselves an important question. Do our lives look like theirs? Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that where these returned exiles followed the Lord, we need to imitate them. Are we? Notice three things about them. First, they were a purified people. We are told at the beginning of our text that the Levites were called into service. Why is that? Well, verse 27, to lead in celebrating the dedication of the walls. And this was part of their duties. First Chronicles chapter 16. They did this in the days of David, 
when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem. And now they were being summoned again to direct the people in the worship of God. And this kind of thing also required, verse 28, the gathering of the sons of the singers. We find them mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 as those who were vocally gifted members of the tribe of Levi. They would oversee the people in song. And yet, as the Levites and singers came into Jerusalem, what did they do before worshiping? Look at verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. The word that's used there for purified, we find it employed all throughout the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And it refers to being empty of defilement or set apart for holy purposes. For example, Exodus chapter 25, the tabernacle had to be purified, along with Exodus chapter 39, the priest's garments. Leviticus 12, after giving birth, a woman had to bring offerings for her cleansing. Leviticus 14, once a leprous man, who, who, a man who was once leprous, he had to go through an elaborate ceremony in order to be declared free from sickness. Numbers 19, if someone had been contaminated by a dead corpse, waters of impurity had to be applied to them. Cleansing and washing was a part of the warp and, the warp and woof of Jewish life, we might say. Purification formed the fabric of their daily lives. Why is that? Well, it's because all of this ritual purity was intended to teach them about God's holiness. That Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, The Lord is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. That Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, Without holiness no one will see the Lord. And yet, these rituals, they were also meant to lead one to an honest and sober assessment of themselves. To say with Job's friend Eliphaz, Job chapter 4, verse 17, Can a man be pure before his maker? These Old Testament purification ceremonies remind us that we do not, Psalm 24, 4, have clean hands and a pure heart. Not in and of ourselves we don't. And that means that the door to God's presence and worship is naturally shut to us. We need someone else to purify us then. We need the spotless and sinless one who says, Yes, I can make you whole. Whose blood can make the foulest clean. Who takes our dirtiness and gives us his righteousness who absorbed our curse so that we could have God's forgiveness. We need Jesus. He is the only reason why we can gather together tonight in worship. We need the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, 
Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, who makes us whiter than snow. However, having said all of this, that we can only come and worship the Lord on the merits of Christ's work. There is something else that's being emphasized in this text. The need to pursue holiness. That's what these priests and people were doing here. They weren't simply remembering what sacrifices and washings reflected. God's holiness, their sinfulness, and the need for a coming Messiah. Instead, they were also to be active in holiness. So that they were not only a people declared pure, but even more so a people seeking to be pure. And that is to be us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in the Lord purifies himself as he is pure. The one who has right standing in Christ is to seek right living in Christ. How do we do this? How do we pursue holiness? Remember Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The grace of God that saves us is also the grace of God that trains us. So then consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Christ's salvation has given us a new life, which means by the Spirit, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, we need to put off our old selves and put on the new. We need to be more spiritually minded, more decidedly separate from the world and devoted to God. We need to have a higher standard of holiness about us. Which then should lead us to ask ourselves, where's our patience? Our self-control? Our care in speech? Our concern for what we watch, what we listen to. Where's our faith at? Faith in God who brings affliction and says, trust me. Where's our attention to the word in prayer? Which is what God uses to train us in righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. We've been redeemed for holiness. Therefore, if we don't pursue it, if we neglect these means for growth in the faith, what does it say about us? We may not be Christians to begin with. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved, but that faith is never what? Alone. It's always accompanied by spirit-produced good works. So embrace God's grace in Christ and go hard after godliness. As John Owen declared, did Christ die and shall sin live? 
Was he crucified in the world and shall our affections to the world be quick and lively? No. Let us be a purified people, eyeing our Savior's finished work, which then drives us to a life of holiness. What's key as we walk this way of uprightness? That's our next point. That we are to also be a worshiping people. And as we consider this point, I want you to notice two important themes that emerge. The first is right practice. The returned exiles, they worshiped God's way. After the Levites and the priests consecrated themselves and the people and the walls, what happened? Verse 31, the leaders and others, they were brought up onto the top of the wall, which included hundreds, if not thousands of people. And listen, that's a big deal. Because do you recall what Tobiah the Ammonite said about these walls? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, he said, If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. In other words, this thing is flimsy. This is shoddy workmanship. A a little bitty chihuahua could go up on top of it and just make it tumble all the way to the ground. But clearly, that's not true. God had been faithful to see to it that two and a half miles of city defenses were rebuilt and that it was well done so that many could assemble onto the top of the walls. And that group that was gathered together, they were divided into two sections, with each having a choir leading the way. The first one, verses 32 to 37, it went south. And in verse 36, Ezra was directing them. The other, verses 38 and 39, went north with Nehemiah among them. And then eventually they met up, verse 40, at the temple, the house of God. But there's some important details that we need to make sure that we don't miss as we consider this section. For starters, don't forget verse 27. The people sought the Levites. That is, they intently went after them. Because... They knew that if they were going to worship God, they needed to do it his way. And he required the employment of the Levites and the priests. In addition, did you catch what Nehemiah said about himself and where he was at in the procession? Look at verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall. Unlike Ezra, a priest, Nehemiah, a government official, did not lead the people in worship. Why? Because Leviticus 8 and 9, that was not prescribed for public worship. Nehemiah then was careful to bless the Lord by the book. 
The priest and the Levitical singers were the ones supposed to direct, not him. Which is a big reason why you have that giant list of names from verses 33 to 42. Most of them were leading because the people were careful to have right practice in worship. And friends, so should we. Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu. 2 Samuel 6, Uzzah in the ark. God cares how he is worshipped. John 4, verse 24, it is to be in truth, ordered by the word. And the Bible seems pretty intent on emphasizing this point. I think, well, why does God care how we worship him? Why does he want us to do it his way? There's a lot that can be said to that. But let me just say that the triune God is out to guard his glory. The Father wants the Son to be exalted, and the Son the Father, and they the Spirit. If left to us, we would exalt ourselves. We would make worship about us and not about God. We would make it about our musical talents, our performance, our spiritual experiences. It would be man-centered and not God-focused. And on top of this, the Lord knows what we need. He knows that we require the singing, reading, praying, preaching, and seeing of the word in the sacraments. If it were up to us, we would feed ourselves spiritual junk food. But in worship, God wants to set before us a glorious gospel feast for our growth in the faith. The question is, do we recognize that his means are enough for us? That right worship, regulated by scripture, is sufficient for what we need for growth in godliness and in the faith and to keep going to the very end. So Nehemiah 12, this worshiping people, they had right practice. But we also see that they had right heart. They wanted to worship God. That's why, verse 27, they sought the Levites. They desired to praise the Lord. And clearly, so did the Levites. Verses 28 and 29, they came from a whole host of villages surrounding Jerusalem. And some of those communities were a haul from the holy city. Maybe an all-day trip. But it was worth it. It was worth it. Because they were gathering for worship. Now, some of us here or watching at home, we loathe our 45-minute drive to church. Well, how about a three- to five-hour walk in sandals, with no deodorant. But that's what the people did. Because coming together to honor the Lord was important. Is it for us? 
Sure, there are things that might hinder us on Sundays, like COVID-19 symptoms. Yeah, it's if we can. Being present is, is valuable. Now, that doesn't mean that we ought not be thankful for the technology of live stream. Of course we are. But come on. Those of you sitting at home, those of us here who, who have watched the live stream, we know it's not the same. And coming to corporate worship in the flesh, we get to embodiedly see each other's faces and hear one another's voices. Most of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in a special way, Christ is present as we come together, saving, training, and communing with us through word, sacrament, and prayer. We should want to come and, and seek to come less providentially hindered. But notice something else about the right-heartedness of this worshiping people. Consider their gratitude and their joy. You're told from the beginning that the people gathered to dedicate the walls with thanksgiving. And then three more times, verse 31, 38, verse 40, we have communicated that they gave thanks. Because the walls that they were walking on would not have happened if the Lord hadn't worked. These exiles had stopped and started rebuilding the walls for years. They had been paralyzed by fear and full of laziness. They were indifferent and worldly. But God had sent people like Haggai and Zechariah to kick them in the pants, to encourage them to trust God and to labor hard. Sure, there were enemies that were spewing all kinds of threats against them, but the Lord had been faithful in the past, and he would be faithful in the present. And these exiles knew it. The completed walls that they were walking on showed God's faithfulness. And so they were grateful. They were filled with joy. Look at verse 43. See how many times the word rejoice or joy is used there? It's the same Hebrew derivative. Five times it's employed. Which tells us that this group of people, they were exploding with thanksgiving and joy. Singing in the music also shows it. Verse 27, they were singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Verse 31, 38, and 40, there's, there's choirs that are mentioned there. 35 and 36, various trumpeters and musicians are named. Verse 42, singers sang under the direction of Jezrahiah. And, and lest you think that it was only the professionals that were doing this, Verse 43 tells us, the women and children also rejoiced. Everyone did. Those with exquisite voices and those who sounded like croaking frogs. It didn't matter. God's faithfulness fueled their worship. Verse 43, he caused them to rejoice with great joy. 
And that's the same kind of joy that's found in passages like 1 Kings chapter 1, when Solomon was anointed king and the ground shook because the praise of God was so loud. Well, likewise here in verse 43. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The people's singing was sincere and it was robust. How's ours? Distracted? Weak? Half-hearted? Joyless? Because you're bored? Silent? Because you're at home on the couch and not here? A right heart in worship will express itself with right singing, gladness, and gusto. And the beauty of your voice should matter, and neither should the hardship that you are facing. The example is before us. Whether you are sitting here or you are at home, give thanks to God, rejoice, sing, and you have more reason to do so. The Lord showed his faithfulness to the returned exiles through the construction of the city walls. He has shown you faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15, the promised one pledged is the promised one who has come to redeem you. And Romans 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him do what? Graciously give us all things. So be a worshiping people with right practice and a right heart. Despite your trials, your troubles, don't let your struggles and your suffering make you silent. Imitate Christ, who sang with his disciples before going to the cross. Consider God and his faithfulness. View Jesus and his work and sing with great joy. There's one other thing that we need to explore just very quickly. It's a serving people. Serving people. And the reason is because while it's true that God doesn't want our work if he doesn't have our worship, it's also the case that our enthusiastic worship of the Lord should lead us to a real service of others. Serving God praise should move us to serve others in love. Let me give you an example. In the mid-1990s, a large group of college students, including myself, began to attend a local church in Statesboro, Georgia. Regularly after morning worship, they found themselves in need of food, as most college students do on a Sunday afternoon. So nearly every week for years, a family in that congregation took all of them in. Every week. Consistently. 
It was Gene and Autry Moore. And this was a ministry to college students that they had been doing for quite some time. They served them food and fellowship in the faith. Because they had been served the gospel. God's gift in Christ led them to be a giving people. Just like we find here at the end of our text. On the same day that the returned exiles joy was heard for miles. Verse 44 tells us that men were appointed to various responsibilities. They were to oversee things like the tithes, first fruits, contributions, and storerooms. And none of this service was glamorous. Participating in closet ministries won't gain anyone name recognition. But that didn't matter. Verse 45. They performed the service of their God. Priests led in purification rituals. Singers directed in song. Gatekeepers stood watch. Levites gathered and organized produce. And verse 47, just like almost a hundred years earlier, under Zerubbabel, all Israel gave the daily portions for the temple and for those who ministered to them. Now, some of what was provided was required in the Mosaic Law. That's true. But not all of it. We see here that the people actually went above and beyond what was asked. Hence the word contributions in verse 44. Everybody obediently and sacrificially served and gave. And and that service only made the people more joyful. Verse 44 tells us that Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered to them. They blessed the Lord for their service. And they didn't complain about them. Returned exiles learned from the mistakes of their forefathers. Remember in Numbers chapter 11, 14, and 16, how the Israelites grumbled against their leaders, against Moses and Aaron? That didn't happen here, not at this point. They were thankful for those who ministered to them and directed them. And listen, surely... Surely we should have the same kind of grateful spirit for the officers in this church who are seeking to minister and direct us. But even when they call us to do hard things, when they make mistakes, we still should be grateful for them. When they confront us in sin, when they repeatedly talk about service in the church amidst a pandemic, still? Yes. We are to be thankful and praise God for them. And do you know one way that we can show that we are doing this? Listen to what they say. Like tonight, in the call to serve, And I understand that we are in a pandemic and it's actually hitting our body right now. But throughout church history, it was in times like these 
where plagues and problems impacted the people of God, that they actually stepped it up and served even more. So what are we going to do? We may have to get a little bit creative. That's true, yes. But we should never be stagnant in service. We should spend and be spent, especially now that this church is in such need. Drop off a meal. Send a card. Text an encouraging message. Pick up the phone. Pray with someone. Watch kids in the nursery every month if need be. Do the less than glamorous stuff. And don't get sidetracked. Don't let fears paralyze you. Don't let how people respond to sickness turn you away from service. Second and third centuries. Do you know when many started to consider the claims of Christ? When they watched believers care for those who were ailing. These servants just sought to be faithful and trusted God with the rest. Of course, that doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind and be unwise when serving others. But neither should we let caution keep us from ministering. Be prudent, yes, but also be diligent. And why serve like this? In such a a sacrificial fashion? I think our text helps us to know why. Did you pick up how many times David's name was used in this passage? From verses 36 to 47, we see it five times. David's name is everywhere. Why? Well, certainly it was to link the people's service to the past. They were following the patterns and principles for worship and service set down in the days of David. But it was also to direct Nehemiah's original audience to the future, to great David's greater son, so that those reading this book would see the repeated use of David's name and think of the coming Messiah. And then with an eye to him, seek to serve. And it is with our gaze on him that we do the same. We gratefully give for one another because Christ first gave himself for us. We gladly pour ourselves out in view of Jesus emptying himself for us. The passage before us, it's about dedicating walls, but even more, it's about dedicated people. Is that us? Are we a purified people? Pursuing holiness? Are we a worshiping people with right practice and right heart? 
Are we a serving people, laboring hard for the good of others? And all because of Christ. All because of him. Well, let's pray and ask God to do such a work in us. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus who laid his life down for us. Without him, there is no hope. We thank you that it is because of him that we are declared righteous in your sight. We are pure because of Jesus. We pray then that you would help us to pursue a purified life, to walk in holiness. We pray that in view of Jesus' sacrifice, that we would be a worshiping people, so thankful and grateful for who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you have done for us. We pray that our lives would be expressions of gratitude and delight. And that it would even spill over into our service. Help us to be determined to serve. For your glory. And for the good of those around us. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen.